The impact of technology on the legal marketplace is obvious, significant, and expanding. With so many different trends in the mix, each with rival vendors offering competing products, it can be difficult to separate signal from noise. To progress efficiently and effectively in this context, it is essential that leaders think strategically and act deliberately. And that is the topic of this episode of Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. I'm Joe Peach, Senior Counsel in Law Firm Management Services at Alas, and with me today is James Goodnow. James is the President and CEO of Fenimore Craig PC. In addition to his law practice and firm management responsibilities, James is known for his thought leadership at the intersection of law and business. He's been featured in the American Lawyer and the ABA Journal, among other outlets, and is the co-author of a book on motivating millennials. Welcome, James. Glad to have you with us today. Good to be here, Joe. Now, having spoken with you previously, I know our conversation is going to get broad and forward-looking before we are finished. But to start, I want to focus on the narrow and the now. With that in mind, what are some areas where you think firms should be deploying automation technology immediately if they haven't done so already? Yeah, it's a good question, Joe. I guess what I would say is I think it's important that law firm leaders take an inventory of some of what I would consider to be the basics. And those would be, as an example, business intake, conflicts, docketing, timekeeping, billing, accounting, document management. Uh, Make sure you're up to speed and where you need to be in all of that. Uh, There have been advances and changes in technology recently, and I think it's critical that you make sure you've got the foundation built. If you don't have that foundation, you're not going to be able to move on to some of the more advanced technology where I think uh, it's really getting interesting. How about at your firm? Have you all undertaken any projects of this automation type recently? We have. We've done quite a few projects recently. We've put in a new automated docketing system. It's called CourtAlert. And what's great about it is it actually captures emails that come from the court. It automatically downloads the attachments and puts them into iManage, which is our document management system. Uh, The dockets then get automatically synced to Outlook. So the lawyers, the paralegals, legal professionals all have that available. Uh, That's been great. Besides doing some intake, new automation, that's been been fun. But one project that I I really think is going to be valuable, especially in a in a pandemic and post-pandemic world is a new piece of technology called Big Hand, which is basically workflow automation. It looks now to see which legal professionals have capacity, who has the skills, the knowledge to do a particular assignment. So it used to be when we were all in the office, perhaps a lawyer would just go outside or go to another office and ask someone to do a project and could be that person was slammed and didn't have time to do it. Now, what we're able to do is get the right project to the right person across offices, which I think drives efficiency. It gets work done faster. I think it gets it done more accurately because it's going to the right person and it's all done automatically. So uh, those are just a few examples of, of some of the projects we're working on. Any takeaways to share based on your experiences working through those projects? I think the takeaway is that it's critical to make sure you're not overlooking recent advancements or perhaps some gaping holes you might have that you might not realize until you look at it. And I'm, I'm willing to admit one that we, we found when we were going through this process, which is in our billing process, we still had a component of that where we would manually print our pro formas or pre-bills as many firms call them to be evaluated for revisions, changes, et cetera. 
and well, one that's just really inefficient, but also it's not great when people aren't in the office and we don't have consistency and uniformity in, in printers and you can't get the, once you make handwritten changes, how do you get that to someone else? So the pandemic really forced us to figure out how are we going to deal with this? And by and large, I think we had gotten to the point where, you know, it just worked. People weren't thinking about it. And we realized, hey, this is not an efficient way to do it. So we're working now with Thomson Reuters and, and their elite program to have um, a paperless pro forma process where it moves around really nicely to different timekeepers. But I think the point is that even pre-pandemic, that would have been a good thing to have because it, it limits the amount of waste. It limits the amount of time being expended. And, and we would not have identified that but for the pandemic and but for this inventory we've done of making sure we've got all the basics checked off the list. I noticed that you referred to these automation efforts as the basics. Fair to say, then, that these automation efforts and decisions aren't the sort of things that you think should be the sole or central piece of a leader's tech strategy? Yeah, I think you need to have a multi-pronged strategy and you take it in steps. Step one is, okay, let's make sure we've got the foundation built. Once that's built, you can start moving into the structure, what I view the structure that will carry law firms forward. So I don't think uh, this is going to be the sole focus. I think it's important that law firm leaders work with their IT professionals to make sure um, this is all working and in place. But once you have that, um, then you can really start deploying the new technologies that are going to help you be competitive. So this is this is just to catch up. And then once you're caught up, you got to figure out where you're going and how to advance. So if you want to be more in stride with the overarching technology trends, what should be in the center of your radar? I think what needs to be at the center of your radar is realizing that we're not just competing with law firms anymore. And we've got competition coming from all types of areas, whether that's VC-funded legal tech companies, whether that is big four accounting firms. We've got lots of new competitors. And so that mindset, a more entrepreneurial mindset thinking how are we going to deliver these services more efficiently, more effectively, is critical. As an industry, we've been wrapped in bubble wrap. We've only competed with law firms for a long time, and that's changing in many ways, both uh, just organically with, with companies that don't provide core legal services but ancillary services, and now with some of the new regulatory changes with direct competitors. So I think we really need to think about what is the landscape for competition, and that needs to be front and center for law firm leaders. Can you give us some specific examples of the sort of disruption you're seeing or foreseeing? An interesting example is a startup company called Do Not Pay. And the name comes from simply it was a, a website that was designed to fight parking tickets. So there's a Stanford undergrad who got a parking ticket, got many of them, and said, well, rather than fight these one by one, let me see if I can put some code together and figure out how to fight them in an automated way. That then, of course, it ends up being successful. His friends are like, wow, that's great. Help me fight my parking tickets too. And then so he uses the technology there. It's successful. And, and more and more people suddenly start using this. He puts it out to the public and it's a big hit. Then enter Peter Thiel, who is famous venture capitalist, uh, the president of Founders Fund, famed VC firm, early investor in Facebook, and infuses do not pay with cash with other VC companies. And now it's evolved to the point where it's being billed as the world's first robot lawyer. 
And it's not just doing parking tickets anymore. Uh, Do Not Pay is tackling all types of consumer areas, whether it's trying to get out of hotel and airline reservations and most recently getting into the class action business, collecting plaintiffs um, in one of the Robin Hood suits that we saw from all the meme stocks recently. So uh, it is moving at a very, very fast clip. It's starting to automate um, ways of um, going into um, whether it's collecting these plaintiffs or fighting basic claims and preparing demand letters. And now, as I understand it, the next version of this is even potentially dealing with issues in small claims court. So you can see that it's getting bigger and bigger in scope. And it may not be that long before that type of technology is entering into the business world and targeting law firm business consumers as well. So that's the type of technology we're facing and that's evolving. This is one example of thousands uh, that are currently being worked on by really smart people, well-funded across the country. So your firm has some unique features. I'm thinking, for example, of its robust contingent fee practice. Do you think those unique aspects of your firm skew your view of the risks and opportunities of this disruption? I wouldn't characterize it that way. What I would probably say is I do think the practice has allowed us to think, you know, outside of the general parameters that we see in, in most traditional law firms and, and maybe has opened our eyes to what's happening more. But I don't think it's changed the landscape. I think the landscape is there. Those are the facts. The question is, are law firms focused on it right now? In general terms, I think the answer is no. I think the answer is no. And part of that may be driven also by the fact that we have now this post-pandemic economic boom. Law firms are really busy. And I think there may be a little bit of complacency saying, well, yeah, you've got these companies that are coming up, but maybe we don't really need to worry about it. We're, we're super busy right now. But that represents short-term thinking. Everyone knows economies go in cycles. And as much as you can have a boom today, you can have a bust tomorrow. And, and then what? Are you prepared to deal with that? And I think we saw in the pandemic that a lot of firms weren't ready to deal with it. And now we kind of find ourselves in that same situation again. So uh, I think the answer is um, every law firm needs to be concerned with this. We've also now started to see some deregulation efforts to allow non-lawyer ownership of law firms. Talk a bit more about the potential impact of that. Well, we are in the middle of a giant experiment, Joe. For those who've been following it, uh, you know that Arizona and Utah are the first two states to really open the door to non-lawyer ownership of direct legal service providers. Um, in Arizona, my home state, fee sharing is permitted with non-lawyers. So, you know, I guess at a basic level, uh, this new structure provides funding for other types of legal businesses. I think more fundamentally, though, and I think what should be more concerning to most law firms is that this new structure uh, is really bringing a a lot of smart people to the table that might not have been before. So you could have certainly lawyers and legal professionals, but you could also have technologists. You can have business people. uh, You could have experienced fundraisers who know how to scale and grow businesses. And they're all coming together with an equity stake in a new legal venture, which gives them a very, very strong incentive to try and drive change, gain market share at a rapid clip. Any specific examples of entities testing out this paradigm of non-lawyer ownership in your jurisdiction? Well, we are six months into it. The new regulations went into effect on January 1st. What we initially saw was a lot of consumer-oriented alternative business structures is the technical name for it. Recently, we're starting to see some big players 
enter the mix here. And in both Arizona and Utah, we have Rocket Lawyer, which is uh, what I would characterize as a legal Zoom competitor now that's a, a filed applications to become an approved uh, entity here. And I think uh, what makes this different is that Rocket Lawyer has as its core consumer small businesses. So whether that's entity formation um, or assisting with uh, you know, handbooks, basic forms uh, that you might see, that's a lot of the bread and butter work that that many law firms do. Uh, you know, we certainly represent like like many large firms, Fortune 100 clients, Fortune 500 clients. We also serve small businesses. And so now these consumers can go to these sites and not only do it themselves, but now they can have lawyer guidance as well. So I think that is really changing the landscape. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see more business applications of these ABS structures. Well, I should mention that Alas also has been watching closely as jurisdictions test out this non-lawyer ownership paradigm. And we have some significant concerns about the potential impact of the paradigm on lawyer independence and client confidentiality, not to mention the potential unintended consequences of such ownership structures and the uncertain and confusing ethical framework that a hodgepodge of different jurisdictional approaches may create. But getting back to the main thread of our discussion, for leaders of legacy law firms, where do you suggest they start in devising a strategy that will be competitive with, or at least coexist with, all these various types of tech-enabled disruptors you've mentioned? It's a good question. In my mind, you start with the cultural acceptance, the mindset that the world has changed, is changing, and will continue to. And because law firms have operated largely in one way for so long, that can be hard for folks to accept. But I think we really need to focus on getting people on board with this concept of how do you adapt? How do you pivot? How do you evolve? And understanding that's a process. Lawyers tend to be risk averse. And we want to make sure we're saying that, hey, Look, part of what we're doing here is, is, is not a risk, actually. The risk is not changing, not evolving, not serving our clients in the best way possible. So that means we need to, to make some adjustments. And I think that needs to be discussed regularly. And, and it starts with that mindset change before you can move to the specifics. You mentioned that lawyers tend to be risk averse. Uh, and that may make all this particularly difficult for lawyers, don't you think? Yeah, I think that's really true. No one likes change. That's just true for everyone, but it's really true for lawyers. That's true. We have a traditional industry. It is built on precedent. We literally look back, backward to make the decisions uh, going forward. And that's uh, not just true in the way we practice law. That's also true in the way that we run our businesses. And so I think it has to be a deliberate effort on the part of law firm leadership to have this conversation regularly to make sure that steps are being taken and it's not just lip service. I would build it into a strategic plan. We're certainly doing that, but don't put, just put it on a shelf. It needs to be put into action. Uh, one way we've done this that, that others may want to think about is we've recently brought on board uh, what we call our chief practice officer. And this is a C-suite member uh, who actually is a lawyer by background, but is not practicing now as a, as a business person, formerly in operations at another firm that that we merged with. And uh, he's basically the COO of the practice groups. And, and his mission is to help the practice groups focus on what is the vision? What is the roadmap? 
How are we going to get there? What technology do we need to deploy? What changes do we need to make in workflows? And we started that in our case with a project that we um, actually borrowed from Amazon's playbook, and it's called Working Backward, which is basically at Amazon, anytime a product is deployed, uh, the team there would write up a press release. Uh, what are the attributes of the product? What does it do? How does it fulfill consumer needs? And then only when people sign off on that, do they start executing on that and moving in that direction. But what it does is it focuses you on where you need to go and what your, in the case of a law firm, clients need. And we've been doing that. And it's kind of a fun way of doing an old school business plan. But we have the lawyers brainstorming this press release, uh, putting together where they want the practice group to be. And I think whether you use this or something like this, it's critical that conversation about where the firms are going and where the practice groups are going and where the lawyers are going is front and center um, in every single meeting that you have. I would add that these conversations and exercises around future plans are also a good place to reinforce the essential role that practice group leaders play in the risk management efforts of the firm and a good opportunity to ensure that practice group leaders are incorporating that risk management facet when considering how best to lead their groups. Well, we've covered a lot of ground here so far. Let's wrap up with some key takeaways. What are a couple of key things you want our audience to remember? Well, I would go back to the top and say, okay, let's start with the basics here. We know that the world's changing. We know that we need to evolve. Are we equipped to do that? In my mind, that starts with taking an inventory of the basics, the foundations, those systems we talked about, conflict systems, document management systems, workflow systems. Do I have those in place? And if the answer is no, you need to start working on that. Then second, once you have that in place, you need to start thinking about how are we going to be competitive with big four accounting firms, legal tech companies, and law firms, frankly, that are moving at a faster clip now than ever before. And that's where um, it's really going to come down to critical positioning for law firms. Um, it's not enough to say we've got a great name. We've been in the industry a long time. People will just send us work because that's not true anymore. Our clients are measuring results. It's not just relationship driven. That's still important. Don't get me wrong. But if you don't have the results to back it up, if you're not saving your clients money, if you're not getting the best outcomes, you're not going to compete. So you need to also now, just in the same way you did an inventory internally, you need to do an external inventory of who are your competitors and how can you differentiate yourself in the marketplace. And I think we have a, a pretty compelling value proposition as law firms which is we can offer sophisticated, tailored legal advice that a computer can't do. Um, and then it's also being honest about what are the things that some of these competitors might do better than we do and not spinning our wheels trying to keep up with them if we don't have the technological know-how or resources to do it. I think if we do that, keep that mindset, law firms are going to be set up for success. For many firms, all of this may involve quite a bit of cultural change. And I know you have some thoughts on that as well. Uh, we'll have to stop here for today, but let's pick up with those thoughts on firm culture in our next episode. Sounds great, Joe. Look forward to it. Until next time, this has been Speaking of Law Firm Leadership. This podcast is provided for educational purposes to assist lawyers in avoiding ethics violations, malpractice suits, other professional liability claims, and management liability claims. This podcast does not constitute legal advice and is not intended to establish an attorney-client relationship nor is it intended to suggest or establish standards of care applicable to particular lawyers in any given situation. The recommendations contained in this podcast are not necessarily appropriate for every lawyer or law firm. In determining the best course of action, 
lawyers should consider the applicable legal authorities and all relevant facts and circumstances. Copyright 2021 by Attorneys Liability Assurance Society. All rights reserved.